Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. It is game two of the NBA Finals. Cody, we have ourselves a series. 1-1. Who could have ever expected the Miami Heat to win a basketball game in the 2023 NBA playoffs while shooting 50% from downtown? I didn't know that they had it in them. Actually, a lot of fun stuff in this game. Uh, Of course, we have the video on YouTube that covers a number of the tactics. But for me, right out of the gate, we talked about it last episode, getting Kevin Love in the starting lineup changed things. They got off to a strong start. They were positive in all three of Love's stints. He had a big impact on the game, I thought, and that just set the tenor for Miami to just tweak things throughout the night, you know, tweak, including your three-point shooting. Just make that adjustment. Just go to the locker room and tell everyone, shoot better or else, I suppose, is is how it's done. Um, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Whew, this, this, this could get real fun. This could get real interesting. I'm just... You know, I don't want to sound like a hater. Like, I don't think I'm a hater. I try and come at this as objectively as possible. I just think the Denver Nuggets are a much better team than the Heat. So, with that said, I'm really happy we got a really good game. Like, that was legitimately really fun, and I did not expect to have that much fun during any of these games. And, you know, when the Nuggets started making their comeback in the fourth quarter, they got it within three. Um, Jamal Murray misses the the game time three at the buzzer like that was that was just a lot of excitement they think they were down like nine they hit a couple threes in a row they almost end on whatever o run so you know all of that builds up to make a really fun finals game now people this is this is the fun part about podcasting right is that like you're listening to it not at the same time we're recording it i actually haven't had a chance i haven't had the pleasure to watch this video so ben would you say that just like the kevin love minutes is the biggest adjustment that Spolster made with the Heat, or is there something else going on that he did along with Kevin Love being out there? Oh, no, there were, there were some other things. Um, the big ones for me, and I tried to get to all of them in this video. I don't know I don't know why this year I'm doing all... The, the, the Game 3 video is going to be like 18 minutes. It's never going to come out. I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Um, but the big ones for me, Cody, uh, first of all, Kevin Love, that adjustment allow Jimmy Butler to play Jamal Murray. So the other thing we talked about in game one was if you could somehow focus or tilt the defense a little bit more to Murray, you could at least cut off one head of the snake. We'll talk about the uh, Nikola Jokic assist thing in in a second. That's everyone's favorite topic, the the topic du jour. But second thing, um, I loved how they used two-man staggered screens, which is really a three-man action. Uh, Throughout the night, they did this. And also, they were bringing a ton of screening actions up from the corner with an empty side. We we saw that early breakdown where I think it was Struess who who got open in the corner for for a three. That actually happened a couple times. Um, So there were just some subtle little tactical adjustments on the sort of edges of the court that I thought worked well. But the biggest one for them offensively to me was, especially in the second half, pairing those things with more Bam Adebayo as a playmaking hub at the elbow, at the top of the key. Um, And the Nuggets actually, it was a weird defensive game from the Nuggets because they defended some of those actions very well. 
even after the Heat had some success with them. But then Miami would just like flow into something else and get a high pick and roll late in the clock and still involve Bam up at the top in that position. And they were doing it with shooters. So the difference is when Butler's in the pick and roll, Jokic drops. But when it's Duncan Robinson or... Uh, Gabe Vincent, or even Max Struess, and I think Kyle Lowry even at one point, they were bringing Jokic out higher to defend the pull-up shooting and to defend the three-point shooting. And what that did at the end of the clock was it basically meant if this handoff elbow action, if this little screen and cut and all this didn't work out for us, which it did a couple times earlier in the game, what that meant was the Heat could reset into like a beautiful spread pick and roll with the middle of the floor open, Bam still ends up catching it in the middle of the floor to either finish as a scorer or short roll pass. And I thought that gave them a lot of effective possessions. Uh, it's usually, uh, especially I should say, in the second half uh, of game two. So I like that compared to Adebayo looking to score and going into isolation even when he felt like he had a mismatch because it doesn't involve anyone else. I can- Did you say that last episode that they only took 25 threes or something like that. Did you bring that up? It's all blurring together. I can't remember. I don't recall saying something like that. I definitely said something about I would like to see Bam as, as more of a DHO hub, a dribble handoff hub like we saw. So I like that adjustment for sure. Yeah. Um, so w- we can talk a little bit more about the Nuggets defense because it was an interesting defensive game from them. But those were some of the big things that, that the Heat did that I thought were successful. Uh, and some of those little tweaks and some of the Denver breakdowns led to more and more open threes and the Heat were just on one. They were just doing their thing. It's exactly what we talked about in the preview where for me, you're going to have a game or two in the series like that where they shoot really well. Can you find a way to win that game? I think to your point about feeling like the Nuggets are a much better team, um, I think that's consistent with shooting almost 50% from three, playing really well, getting all those big minutes. They're plus 18 with Kevin Love's adjustment and the, sh- and the game coming down to the final shot. Now, that's not abnormal as well if the, if the teams are more closely matched because it was a road game in Denver where they uh, have a big advantage and things like that. But I do think that's consistent with what you're saying. Miami, though, if they're going to shoot really well, this is the 18th time this season They've shot over 43% from downtown. They were just under 50% in this game with 17 more made threes. Man, that's, that's a lot of threes. Um, they've done it 18 times. They're 14-4 and four when they do it. And here's the fun part, Cody. They only did it 10 times in the regular season. Okay? So they played, they played while you're doing that math in your head, they played 82 regular season games. That means they shot over 43%. 12% of the time, 12% of the time, about one in every eight games, they did this. In the playoffs, they've done it eight times in 20 games, which means they are doing it 40% of the time. So when you play a seven-game series against the Heat, the way they're shooting right now, whether it's the heater of all heaters or whether, you know, Kevin Love's outside shooting is making the difference. Duncan Robinson has refound his shooting stroke. Kyle Lowry has found the fountain of youth. Gabe Vincent is on some smelling salts. It doesn't matter what it is. Max Struess is dialed in. Udonis Haslam's in his ear. It doesn't matter. 
that means two or three times in a long series, you can almost expect to get a game like this. And I, to your point, I'm really happy we got this early in the series because now it makes the next two games extremely interesting, almost regardless of the outcome. I want to get back to a more analytical look at the Heat's offense in just a second, but I want to stick on the shooting point for a second because, Ben, what what are you saying to me right now? Are you, are you just, just objectively an observer telling me some stats, or are you trying to say something? Because here's the thing. like, Are you saying there's actually something to it in the sense that like the Heat just bring it in the playoffs, like they get more dialed in? Like, Is it the chance that they just have a bunch of these really good, volatile shooter shooters that every so often they seem to sink together all of the jump shots and they're able to hit 50% or is this just come I don't want to use the L word Ben I don't want to use the L use, word use the, I, use the V word instead I, I think it's probably the the dirtiest uck word that yeah. one could could mutter on it's, this podcast it's variance that's what it is so are you saying it's, it's complete variance or do you think there's like Reggie Miller in the 90s is the heat just filled with a bunch of Reggie Millers on a smaller scale uh I think there has to be some variance that's mm. that's just 30 years of or whatever it is decades and decades of of looking at this kind of stuff now i think i've kind of wrote a chapter about this in thinking basketball the book and so the fact that we haven't really had something like this to this degree might make people feel like it's not variant almost counterintuitively they might be like see it's never happened something else is going on here i kind of cut the other direction i think we've only been in a volume three-point era this pace and space boom after curry after the warriors it's five six seven eight years if you were you were looking it up uh right after the game last night uh you know best three-point shooting percentage runs in the playoffs and these are all from teams that are taking like 10 threes a game you know, teams in the 90s and in the, in the 80s pop up in there. And it's like, it's like, great, you shot 45% deep into the playoffs, but you took 10 a game. We're talking about teams taking 30, 40, 50 threes in a game. The Heat took 35 threes in the game last night. So there aren't that many teams in the last, whatever it is, decade, eight years that have shot at that volume had deep playoff runs. There's only, you know, four to eight deep playoff runs, depending on how you count it every year, uh, and do essentially what Miami's doing. Now, their overall playoff run, we should point out, to your point about syncing up at the right time, uh, they did not sync up at all in the Knicks series. They did not have one good three-point shooting game. I know they didn't hit 40% in a single game. I'm not even sure off the top of my head they, they eclipsed 35% in a single game. It was a very bumpy series on all six occasions for them. But against Milwaukee, Cody, as you know, they had a bunch of them. Against the Celtics, I think they, they had even more against the Celtics than they had against the Bucs. Here, here we were riding the, uh, the L word or the, the variance train when we were talking about that series. And I was like, look, the Heat are not going to shoot 46% from three again over the course of a series. And I think that's technically true. But they got, they got rid of the Bucks in five. The Celtics, they went to seven. And it's like, oh, well, why don't we just have four great three-point shooting games in the series? And they did, and they won three of them. And that's the thing, of course. When you shoot really well, you're going to give yourself a great chance to win in the NBA, regardless of who you're playing. So that's a really long-winded way for me of saying, I do think this is, we're finally seeing something 
where we have some stars aligning and we're, and we're getting variants. But when you're the team, when you're the athlete shooting the shots, that doesn't feel real. That doesn't make any sense. You're just playing as hard as you can. You're locked in, you're dialed in, your shot mechanics feel good. Obviously, you keep seeing the ball go in through with your eyes when it comes off your hand. It feels good. Um, and so in that sense, you want to be careful about using that L word because you don't want to take anything away from Miami. And in game two, to that point, regardless of whether... And here's the thing, by the way, just to, just to be crystal clear. If you're a good shooter and you get great shots, we don't have any expectation of any human beings hitting 60% of their open threes in NBA games. That's the thing. So when you're doing that in a series, when you're the Heat and you make 58% of your open threes against the Celtics, hopefully even the Heat players can realize that in the long run that won't happen. But a game like last night, or just good shooting in general, A, they put a lot of good shooters on the floor. Spo stayed with the small lineup in the fourth quarter and went zone to protect the defensive warts that that presents because he had good, because Duncan Robinson is lighting it up because Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin didn't play that many minutes last night, but he even hit a huge one in the corner. So you put more shooters on the court and you have the opportunity for this. That syncs up with the adjustments that they made to get those guys good shots. And in the case of the Nuggets, sometimes they had some breakdowns that also led to good shots. But it's like, you put those two things together and you get really good shot quality. Okay, now it feels more reasonable that we can have a couple games in a series where we shoot over 40%. 50% or 58% on, on wide open, that's the L word to me. Um, but everything else, I think, is them playing well and you have to give credit to these guys up and down the roster for uh, executing and then having the focus and sort of, I would say, physical and um, cognitive stamina to play defense, execute the game plan, listen to everything Spolster wants you to do, and then have your legs and your mechanics and knock down those shots when you get the chance. I'm going to lead this into a question about shooting again, but go, going to the way that they were running their offense, I think the one thing that I find so much fun about the way that Miami runs offense, and you said it before, they have these like stagger setups where they have multiple guys setting screens and people are running through, but what's really tricky about the way that Miami sets up some of these offenses, isn't that like there are two guys just standing here and it's like, oh, the shooter's going to come off those two screens, he's going to catch the pass, and he's going to shoot and make it, right? What makes it really tricky is there might be like three guys standing in this area, and then without a single screen, without anyone making a cut, they kind of just start rearranging themselves. Like, I, I try and watch, I try and make sense of what the rules are to their offense, I have no idea how to tag it. I don't know how to name it. I don't know how to figure out like the randomness of the like these these heat particles. They're just excited the the Ooh. hotter that these guys are getting out there, and they're just kind of like bouncing around. And all of a sudden they rearrange, and then someone comes off a couple screens, and they're wide open. And the Nuggets, you can see, they're like, "Oh my, am, am I switching? Am I KCP's pointing to the paint? MPJ's throwing his hands up in the air, and all of a sudden the Heat have a wide open three. And so I guess my question, coming off that variance that you were just talking about in terms of uh, the threes they're taking. I don't know how much data we have on the actual volume of wide-open threes that teams have gotten in the playoffs, but might it be the case that the Heat are just generating more wide-open three-point attempts than really any other team that we've seen 
in NBA history? No, we have we have that data, and at least in the the data that I saw from the Milwaukee series, they were actually on the lower side of generating open three. Uh, sorry, the Celtics mm-hmm. series, the the fifty eight percent, they were on the lower side. They had like ten open threes a game, and certain teams I think will get fifteen, or I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, twenty maybe is the high end. But that's the thing, Cody. It's not like they're generating an extremely high volume of open threes. If they were generating an extremely high volume of open threes and shooting this way from three-point land, they would be blowing everyone out. That, that's the thing. So it's like they are making contested shots, they're making pull-up shots, and they're making open shots, and they're doing it in such a way. I think you have a stat for us on fourth quarter performance because they I don't know the record off the top of my head obviously Derek White got him at the end of game six but if you have a series I've said this probably a million times this is definitely going to go in the in the bingo jar for thinking basketball you have a close series and there's two or three uh, close games in the series the team that wins more of those close games that's usually the thing that like flips these close series so if you have Three close games in the series and you win two, that's a huge advantage just mathematically for getting yourself uh, across the finish line. If you have four close games in a series and you win three, which I think, I'm trying to think of the Celtics, the Celtics won game six, that was a close one, and Miami won game one and two, that was close. They didn't really have a fourth close game in that series, did they? But the, the point stands still that any if you have only two close games in the series and they split it doesn't make that big of a difference. It's like the the coin flips even themselves out. But the Heat have just been so good, it seems like, at winning close games and winning the end of games and making all the little plays at the end of games. And Jamal Murray had a good look to tie the game at the end. And the Nuggets had a great comeback because, um, you know, we can talk about the zone if you want. I didn't think the zone was a panacea. Uh, it, it, it just held them at bay, which is all they needed to do with that small lineup. But... Miami, they came out in the fourth quarter. They made their first six shots. I think they made nine out of ten. And then at the very end, when things got tight and things bogged down, Jimmy Butler made a jumper to get them to 109. And then when it was 109-106 in the final minute, Jimmy Butler made a beautiful little pass to Bam Adebayo, who rolled to the basket, was able to get free throws, uh, and he made both those free throws to get to 111. So just constantly making plays in close games. Um, that's why they're here. The, the the tweet, I would say the stat, I guess the same thing. The tweet that you're uh, referring to is John Schumann of uh, NBA.com tweeted, uh, the heat point differential per quarter through the 20 playoff games. And this isn't per 100 or anything. I'm pretty sure this is raw this is just plus raw. minus yeah, data. This is raw. Yeah. So in all first quarters in the playoffs, the heat negative one. Right, So they've been losing first quarters by one point throughout the playoffs. The second quarter, they've been losing them by 11 points. Third quarter, losing it by 12 total points Right across all of the playoffs. Fourth quarter has been the Heat are plus 90. <laughs> plus 90. So it goes from negative 1, negative 11, negative 12, plus 90. And he goes back and says that this is actually something that they repeated from the, the 2020 playoffs, where in the first quarters... They were negative 28. Second quarter, negative 3. Third quarter, negative 21. Fourth quarter, plus 94. So I I don't know. That's a weird sample size, Ben. And you said it before that maybe, or before, you said it like a minute ago, that they might tighten some stuff up. They're doing things in the playoffs. Ben, what is it that the Heat are doing? Is this part of the variance too? It's just like Duncan Robinson dropping 11 straight 
points at the beginning of the fourth quarter part of this? Like, what what are the Heat doing that make them such such? I don't even know what adjective I'm looking for. Vicious closers. What is it that they're doing out there? You don't think it's Heat culture? Oh my god! Oh my! If someone can define it for me, maybe I'll maybe I'll entertain it. But uh, I would like something else. Heat culture is when you have uh, Pat Riley and Alonzo Mourning just they're looming presence over the arena no matter where they are usually in the upper rafters just hovering with a with an aura uh, just just a force field of of mighty influence and then down in the trenches you have Udonis Haslam who I mean I don't want to you know he's just three games away from his fourth championship let's just uh, let's just throw that nugget out there so no I have no idea I have no idea what heat culture is I don't know what to make of this um, uh, let's talk about the zone while we're here. Oh, you want to you want to get to other stuff? No, I want to talk about the zone. Yeah, let's talk about the zone. Um, the adjustment they made in the zone. You asked me about the adjustments. I uh, threw this in the video. Um, the adjustment. A, a nod to our friend Eric Shapiro for when he pointed this out. I said, okay, this is this has got to be a thing. I should actually mention this explicitly. The the zone, the heat run, as we've said, is very complicated. It's very complicated for video. It would take a while to explain. I've consistently put my toe in the water of like, do I want to make a video on this whole zone? It's really cool. And it's, sometimes it's even harder on radio to describe it. But if you close your eyes and you think of the three-point line in a basketball court, the two guys at the top of the zone are essentially responsible for defending the top part of the three-point line above the break. The two wings in the zone are over on the break and the edges and the corners, and Bam is in the middle. And because of decent defensive three seconds, Bam usually has to pick a side to go to, and there are some things that trigger which side he goes to. But that's the essence of the zone. It's a no-three zone. And the adjustment that they made with the zone, and they do stuff like this. In the Knicks series, they were playing around with how they wanted to switch the ball screen with the two guys at the top. That was super cool. So last night, what they do is they say, okay one of the two guys up at the top of the zone try to front Jokic in the middle of the court because he's not really interested in like coming over and shooting a top of the top of the circle catch and shoot three right away he's trying to get in the middle play make puncture it go to the floaters go to the post up and so you would see these possessions where it was like uh Caleb Martin maybe I'm trying to remember who else was out there would just be fighting with Jokic 20 feet away from the bucket trying to front him outside the free throw line just to make that entry pass and that catch a little bit harder. And you do that for a couple possessions and it slows them down. Or, um, you know, one time there was a miscommunication after that. Jokic throws it out of bounds. You usually don't see that stuff. That was just enough, I thought, to protect them. I mean, it goes back to what we just said, Cody. It was a three-point game. The game came down to the final shot. It's one of those close games where if you're a team of the fan that loses, you're going to say, we lost because of the officials, yada, yada, yada. We've talked about that before. But like, then there was a, there was a goaltend call at the end of the game that was missed that people are, are fussing about. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bad call. But any game that is close like that is going to have those sort of pivot points. And I thought, hey, we're going to go to the zone that not being good enough, I mean, it's just it's just peak Eric Spolstra, Cody. It's like, we're not just going to go to the zone, but 
immediately after game one, what we saw, we're going to make that adjustment to try to make Jokic's catch at the top and in the middle of the floor harder. That's going to be something that the Nuggets have to react to the first time they see it. And so even though they scored successfully for a ton of the quarter against the zone, buying a few extra possessions was key because you haven't seen the video. A lot of people listening to this will have already seen the video and know this stat. So this will be a fun thing to get you to react to, especially for the YouTube crowd uh, who can see your facial expressions. What do you think the Miami Heat defense was, the defensive rating was, points per possession that they allowed in Kevin Love's 26 minutes on the bench last night? What do you think the defensive rating was in Kevin Love's 26 minutes? minutes on the bench okay well i have to factor in the uh denver bench unit unlimited coming in and just turning into a a dynamo it's got to be high because they were at they tore like a 26 to 5 run at one point i think it's going to be like absurdly high we're talking like 130 or something that's a 130 offensive rating that's my guess that's a good guess you use great logic the answer is in 26 minutes without Kevin Love, the Nuggets had a 161 offensive rating. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so you could talk about variance Ooh. there as well. Yeah, there's 161 okay. offensive rating. So, so, no, so, so, you know, winning on the margins, that's mm. sometimes what it comes down to. Just a couple plays, just a couple of things. Throw, go to zone, but throw them off for two or three possessions. And then, of course, the, the floodgates open. Um, they still haven't really found a way to defend the Murray-Jokic pick and roll. And I think that gets us to the next part of all the talking points, which is turning Jokic into a scorer. We, we need to – let's – can we hang on to that for just a second? I want to talk about the zone just for one more minute, unless yeah. you want to do this and then come back. Okay, so – what you just said about the zone, I want to stick on this for a second because I think it contrasts directly with the way that the Nuggets are defending the Heat. And I think this is a big key. This is a, a like a key tenet of the way that I'd like to see successful teams playing is that you dictate the terms of how the game is played on defense, right? You do not want the offense to be able to take control and do what they want to do out there. And the Heat, the zone made it just slightly more difficult. They did a good job of of getting people at the nail, getting people in front of Jokic, making those catches a little bit more difficult. On the other side of the court, it felt like, like you said, once once the Heat were done with like their day, double staggers and running around the perimeter and stuff, they were able to get to the BAM as the, as the DHO hub, the guy that's just standing at the top, waiting for people to come. He could set some screens for them. He can hand it off. They were able to get to that whenever they wanted. And even when Jimmy Butler, if they weren't doing all the movement, Jimmy Butler could just call up Jamal Murray's man, get the Jamal Murray switch, and then he has pick and roll with Murray and Jokic in there. They could get to that anytime they wanted. It didn't really seem like the Nuggets were switching it up too much. So the Heat were able to dictate the terms of how the offense was played on their side, and not and, and the Nuggets weren't able to do the same thing that the Heat were doing, which was making things just a little bit more difficult. And I thought, you know, Jokic playing the hedge at times, the Heat were able to exploit that pretty well. Bam was really able to slip those screens really well, get himself into space. He had that one big dunk. He was able to pass out of that situation. Jokic was just a step too slow to really recover. Uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s rotations were just a second too slow in some of those situations. So I think that's really the key. Even if the numbers don't necessarily back up the that the zone was this great momentous thing that's going to change the series forever. It was at least a, an adjustment that that 
made life a little bit more difficult for the Nuggets, which I did not see the Nuggets doing the same for the Heat in Game 2. Yeah, MPJ had a rough night defensively. There was a lot of talk from Denver about effort, the the E word. We've we've talked about Mm -hmm. the L word and the V word. Now we're over on the E word. Um, I don't know if that's gamesmanship or motivation tactics or or if it's just a synonym for what it looked like to me, which was focus or lapses or confusion or miscommunication. So there were a number of instances where the Nuggets miscommunicated or got a little confused, two guys going with the ball, two guys going with a cutter, leaving a shooter open. And that, that might happen once or twice in a really good defensive game from a team that's playing really well, as we've seen Denver do throughout these playoffs. But when it's like 8, 10, 12 times a game, you see the coach calling timeout after it happens like twice in a row, and then we got to like fix the whole thing. Why aren't we talking? Um, I don't know if you use the word effort, but that was there and has to be, in a sense, encouraging for Denver because that's an easy thing to fix if you've got a track record of communicating and playing well like they do. So whether it's fatigue or... Um, they, they were just a little too confident and they lost focus or Miami was coming out with slightly different actions and it confused the players in tandem. So they didn't realize they had to switch uh, to communicate with each other. You go to the next game that feels like an easier thing to fix than like, how are we going to score against the, how are we going to score against the Knicks defense? Mr. Brickerstaff, how, how are we going to figure out how to do that? So that's, that's gotta be an encouraging thing from the Denver side, um, but it was a weird defensive game for them when I went back through the film because you did have a ton of breakdowns. You also had a lot of really good possessions. And sometimes they completely stonewalled the Heat for 24 seconds, and sometimes the Heat would score at the end of the clock. But here's something that jumped out to me that is not in the video that might be subtle and not talked about, but who knows if it'll come up later in the series. Uh, it felt to me like they were trying to attack Jamal Murray to start the game. They posted Bam on a bio against Murray after a switch because the Nuggets were switching quite a bit. And Jamal Murray just stonewalled him, just completely stonewalled him at the basket. Then, I think this is all in the first few minutes of the game, on another trip, he was on Butler, that that clear out on the empty side after the switch. Butler drives baseline. Butler doesn't even get off a shot because of Murray's size. It looked like he might block the shot at the basket as he's uh, sort of running alongside next to him as he gets near the hoop and he kicks it out. Uh, I think that turned into a, a three on a hockey assist. But there was a third trip where they they got the switch with Murray and then Murray and Aaron Gordon behind the play seamlessly scram switched with each other off the ball. It was like beautiful. It happened so quickly. Jokic had another one of those with a teammate in a pick and roll action in like the middle of a shot. I was trying to think if I ever seen this before. Like it was so perfectly synchronized that Jokic switched to the ball briefly. And then as the other play, like they were switched. His guy was on the big man who it might've been Bam setting the screen. And then as the as the guy with the ball snaked into the paint to shoot, Jokic instantly switched back to Bam as his man went to contest the shot. I think it was a, uh, it was either I think it was a Gabe Vincent fadeaway or or Jimmy Butler fadeaway. I think the Heat missed that shot. I was like, wow, there's a lot of cool stuff that Denver's doing, and they have all these great possessions on film. This is one of those psychological things where if the Nuggets had won the game by three, you'd have people out here making videos about like all the great Denver defensive possessions. So this is the nature of the close game. 
um, in the playoffs, but I, I just did want to get that on record and for you to react to. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Let's go back to what you were saying before, Ben, because um, I know Eric, Eric Spolstra seemed to have some thoughts about this after the game, so I want to get your reaction to this. Uh, ben, did, did the Heat turn Nikola Jokic into a scorer in Game 2? Is that a thing that happened? Well, I mean, yeah, but that's not a good thing. You don't want... <laughs> You know, like if, like if you're defending, you don't want the other team to score a lot of points more efficiently with their possessions, and that's what the Nuggets did. Um, he what did he finish with? Forty-one points and four assists. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so summarize for the people the the talking line, if you will, after the game that we heard in the press conference, and I'm sure was bandied about uh, today in media. Wait, the, the talking line, you mean that people were asking in the presser afterwards? Is that what you mean? Just this idea that like it was a big win for Miami's defense and conceptually a different approach than what they had in game one because Jokic, I think, and I think honestly what did it wasn't the 41 points. I think it was the four assists, Yeah, which is also independent of like, hockey assists and teammates missing shots and some of the vagaries of plays where it's an assist versus, you know, maybe you have a lot of handoff action and you pick up three or four cheap assists because Murray's on fire in a handoff game or something. Like, I think that spawned this idea that, oh, they stopped the passing. The passing, therefore, slowed down the Nuggets offense. And because the Nuggets offense was slowed down, that's why Miami won this game. And... I, I just I conceptually just just don't understand this because I'm watching the game. I don't know about you, Ben, but there really wasn't a point at any point in the game where I was like, "That's a pretty easy shot that the Heat are conceding to Jokic." Like very clearly, they're leaving him open for that. I thought that it was an incredible tough shot making performance from Jokic. The the what he's mastered is getting people down, getting him on on his shoulder to turn either left or right and throw up some kind of BS-looking half-hook thing that just, like, the one, oh, my God, Ben, the full-court give-and-go where he just, like, I, I don't, it's like a floater from, like, 13 feet away. It hits every part of the rim and bounces up and goes in. Like, the incredible tough shot making. I can't necessarily speak to why his assist numbers were low. I can tell you it wasn't because the Heat were just giving him open lanes and being like, make some more shots instead. This is what we want. Like, that's objectively not what happened last night. I don't have the answer for why he didn't have as many assists, but the shots he were making were not just conceded by the Heat. That's just a misnomer of what happened. And that's that's essentially what what Eric Spolster was saying um, after being asked this for the 10th time. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think, um, I mean, this might be only the second game in the playoffs where Jokic has a negative plus-minus, mm. meaning his team wins his minutes when he's on the court in every playoff game other than, I believe, one against Minnesota off the top of my head. And so he was like minus 12 or minus 16 last night. They, As you said, the bench unit had the big explosion. They won, they won the minutes against Jokic, did the Heat, and they held... Uh, Denver to like a 112 or 113 offensive rating when he played, which I think was similar to game one. The overall offensive rating was 113. I don't remember what it was with Jokic on the floor, but all of that is to say, I think maybe that is the biggest accomplishment the Heat can take away from game one. Uh, sorry, from game two, which has nothing to do with 41 points and has nothing to do with four assists. It has nothing to do with shot making, or maybe it does in the sense that they made stuff harder so 
there weren't these opportunities to just carve everyone up. And he did have a few just brilliant passes in the game. Um, but he wasn't getting easy post-ups. He wasn't getting easy stuff at the basket. And they did a good job. They did a relatively good job, especially early in the night, making sure that Murray Jokic two-man wasn't just humming along. I still don't think they've found the answer to it, but Butler playing bigger and playing uh, at the point of attack in that action against Jamal Murray certainly did make it a little bit harder in this game. So that's that to me is going to be what I'm looking at in game three. Um, I'm going to be looking at the pet bread and butter action of the Nuggets, Jokic in the middle of the floor, Murray swir- swirling around him, and what that shot quality dictates. Does it dictate elite shot quality for those two guys, or do you have to bring extra defenders and help out and it opens up the three-point shooting of everyone else? Speaking of three-point shooting for the Nuggets, um, Michael Porter is two for 11 in the first game. Mm-hmm. And I thought he missed a lot of makeable shots as well. That combined with a bumpy defensive night, I think it's going to be a huge thing to look at in game three. Can they get good minutes and good shot making from Porter? Because that just makes them so good based on how Murray and Jokic and everyone else is playing. Or if it's another bumpy night, that takes away not just a key piece, but like a world-class shooter who's doing the opposite of the heat thing, right? He's like, he's, he's like if they had a shooting contest in that gym, Michael Porter Jr. probably wins that shooting contest most of the time when they just run it over and over again. But in the first two games of the finals, he's been extremely bumpy. Well, at least in game two, the, the Miami Thrice guys, the South Beach law firm, and all of them did their thing. I think, well, okay, he missed some open shots, but I also don't think uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s shot selection helped him out too much in that second game. I thought there were a few times where he forced a couple of pull-ups, especially in the mid-range area, where I'm like, all right, just maybe kick that one out and reset it. Uh, But the bench unit, I think we we might need to start figuring out a name for this Denver bench unit because, you know, somebody like Christian Brown, right, I don't know how many games, games, I don't know how many minutes this guy played last night, but I think that's about the max. Like, maybe you can play him 10 minutes, and then he just goes out there, and he's just a cannonball. Like, I think the first three plays, he gets, like, this wild driving layup, and then he picks off, like, an inbounds pass, and then he gets, like, another defensive stop. Yeah. 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 He's just everywhere. And then Jeff Green's running the court, hitting three-pointers. Bruce Brown's hitting three-pointers. They're the, the defense they can bring. I thought that what happened at the end of that first quarter, because, you know, the Nuggets were able to bring it in. I think they were within three or something like that. But then the Nuggets went on this huge, like I said, 26-5 to run. And a big part of it is I thought they were able to limit, like I was saying before, they made life so much tougher for Bam at a bio, right? Because I think somebody like Aaron Gordon, somebody like Jeff Green, is just going to be better at defending Bam up near the perimeter than somebody like Jokic is. And I think the rest of them are going to just be able to fluidly move a little bit more. So, I don't know. I really love this Denver bench lineup. I don't think they're going to go on 26 to 5 runs too much more. But, uh, you know, I think some of those guys, especially if MPJ is missing or he's just like not on like we saw, maybe someone like Bruce Brown should get a few more minutes. Maybe Christian Brown could get a little bit more run. Maybe Jeff Green could come back in. Uh, But those guys, those guys are just tremendous. We were a couple buckets away from Christian Brown on the thumbnail of the video. Uh, He just he just came out of the gate. And had like five or six minutes where we've seen him do it all year. He's had awesome man defensive possessions against the best players in the league. 
and he was doing it. Like he just had great defensive possessions, regardless of whoever he was guarding. I think I'm trying to remember in game one, the first time Butler tries to go at Brown and he's stonewall. I think it was the first time out there. And it's like, I think there's this thing with him. He's a rookie. He does. He looks kind of unassuming, even though he's big, but he's strong and athletic. And I think the best players in the league see him and they're like, oh, this is going to be minced meat. And then he just eats their lunch. Um, yeah, Christian Christian Brown, 15 minutes last night. He was plus eight in those minutes. The Denver bench unit was huge. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., by the way, that three-point shooting, I was able to track it down with the power of the internet. He is uh, three for 17 to oh. start the series. And this is someone who's in the upper crust of outside shooting in the league. Um, Cody, any other thoughts you want to get on record about this game or what you're looking for for game three before we get out of here? Yeah, one defensive adjustment I would like to see from the Nuggets because I thought this was a key to some of the the breakdowns that they were having. We, we've used the term before with gapping where players can just like aggressively play. You know, they help off their guy. They're trying to pay, play the passing lane. They're trying to play the, the drive to kind of shut off those lanes. I thought the Nuggets were a little too aggressive gap. Hmm. Like, there were a few possessions. I, th- I can picture one, at least, with, like, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, where he's just, like, way off his guy, and the Heat are able to kick it. I think it might be Struess, who's maybe, like, a foot behind the line and catches. And there's just there's no physical way that KCP is going to be able to recover for a contest. And I just thought there were one too many times out there where it felt like the adjustment was like, we're going to close the driving angle against the heat instead of like more so respecting the kick game to their shooters. So I think that's one thing I'm going to keep an eye on is to see what angle the Nuggets are starting to play these driving lengths and shooters uh, when game three starts. That's really interesting because... I think a lot of the way the Nuggets have built their defense with their length and horizontal coverage is predicated on that. So I'm, I'm not saying you can't go too far, but I actually would be surprised if they stop tilting the D and cheating over and trying to recover. I think the thing that jumped out to me, and we'll have to get your thoughts next time because you haven't seen the video, but after you go through the, the clips that are in this video, and, and there was even a couple that were left out, um, I just thought Denver was really poor with their closeouts, just like really sloppy with their closeouts. And again, this goes back to the variance and the heat shooting and what's going on. Maybe psychologically, you're like, I got to run this guy off the line no matter what. And maybe your coaches are like, yeah, we want you to run that guy off the line. But there's a space in between running someone off the line and I don't have to just like recklessly take myself out of this play or in a more subtle example the ball gets swung and you're in position to defend and engage a shooter but you just take like really weird steps and you like trip over yourself and then you just give up a closeout every time even the there was a play in the fourth quarter where butler got a little close a drive the closeout and and one um i think bam on bio kicked it to him on the short roll to set that up it, aaron gordon's like there Aaron Gordon did not help off that much on Bam Adebayo's role, and yet he's just, he's in the stands on the closeout, you know, like Jimmy, and it's Jimmy Butler. Why are you closing out that hard to Jimmy Butler? So I think, again, those are, those feel encouraging in the sense that you don't have to make huge tactical adjustments. Your execution can just be sharper in these small, subtle little areas on the margin. I'm I'm picturing a play right now. I'm pretty sure 
it was Jamal Murray and Duncan Robinson. You can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure Duncan Robinson catches like three feet behind the three point line, and Murray just comes screeching out and flies by him to close out. And Robinson's like, "All right, I'll dribble a foot closer and just comfortably pull up for a nice little three. And he buried it. And like that was the kind of thing I think you're talking about, where it's like, okay, we could we could probably like little choppier feet here, close it down a little bit instead of like doing the flyby contest. If you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That's the direct way to do it. We just had our live monthly Q&A this weekend. That was, that was great. That was the first time in like three or four years we've ever had topical questions all about the playoffs and the finals and game one and game two. So that's a lot of fun. Um, we also have our stats board that we reference all the time that helps us research these shows and videos, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That is it for this one. Hope you are enjoying this series as things heat up. See what I did there, Cody? Uh, right at the end, I threw one in just for you. Uh, and of course, that wherever you're listening, anywhere in the world that you are having a great day. 